radio and letters and, and, and faxes, all that kind of stuff. But today, uh, something can happen. In fact, this past week, uh, even into the previous week, there was a, an alert given that uh, the Israelis, the Jewish people, bombed a hospital in Gaza. And everybody jumped on that and said, oh, this is really it. And everybody's got their cameras out. And then even Al Jazeera and the Islamic world said, no, I guess Israel didn't do it. I guess it was one of the rockets that misfired. And of the seven, almost 7,000 rockets, over 500 of them uh, misfired and hit themselves. So this was a rocket that went up and misfired and came right down and hit a parking lot next to the hospital. So all that information gets out there and we buy into it and it's not the truth. And, but people hold on to the first thing they heard. So please uh, be alert. Uh, don't jump at everything you hear. Wait till it's been validated and, and, uh, and, and walk that way. We're very interested in what God is doing and how he is uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's a very important part of our hearts. In fact, my phone just did that thing for another um, a strong explosion near a power plant in the western uh, area. So there's those kind of reports. And so we have to be aware of what's going on. And I want you to be aware. Don't put your head in the sand and pretend it's not there. Because it's coming closer to you and to me here in the United States. Uh, our treasurer, uh, Lisa Devinney, and her husband are in Washington, D.C., and she sent an email yesterday, or text yesterday, and she showed me a couple of videos where there's a pro-Palestinian march in Washington where they are, and, um, and as you know, Lisa, she said, I've had to hold my tongue. I said, thank you, Lisa, because we don't want to start a prison ministry now, uh, <laughs> but if we have to, we have to, you know, so uh, it's everywhere. In fact, I saw a report um, early this morning that yesterday during the Michigan Michigan State football game on their jumbo video board Tron up in the stands, there was a picture of Hitler shown. People, he, he was a wicked, terrible, not to be celebrated character in world history who murdered six million Jews and probably another five or six million other people who were handicapped, uh, gypsies, other people. He was a brutal, murderous man. He should not be celebrated by anyone today. But people are because they're in a delusion. I heard also that someone said, uh, I wish Hitler had killed all the Jews when he had the chance. Things are happening, and you need to be aware of that, and you need to understand what is happening uh, in these days. There is a ferocious, savage, demonic, I believe, movement of anti-Semitism across our land. Uh, listen, they don't want land. They say they want land, but what they want to do is kill every Jew on earth. And that his prophecies talks about that, and it's been going on for centuries. Our place as believers, last week I gave you five reasons um, to stand with Israel, biblical reasons why God has called us. We have been, as Gentiles, we have been grafted into the vine, Romans 10, 9, 10, 11. We've been grafted in uh, by the blood of Jesus. We're part of the, the promise and covenant of God because of what the Jewish people have been given by God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land and also our Christian faith. They have given us so many things. And we can celebrate that, be thankful for it, but align ourselves. And uh, again, I, I want to say it because it doesn't strike us all the time. Jesus 
was a Jew. He was born as a Jew. He died as a Jew. He has never denied that aspect of his life. Son of God, yes. Son of man, yes. A Jewish man. The Jewish carpenter, they call him. And we have to understand that. People think, well, no, he wasn't. Yes, he was. And everything Jesus taught, he taught from the Old Testament, the older covenant words, because that was always that was written at that time. So we need to stand there and support Israel, and uh, God will judge Gentile nations on how they treat uh, God's people, the Jewish people. So I want to encourage you that way uh, as we do that. I also gave you five um, points how to pray, because it's a hard thing to do. How do you pray? What do you, Lord, what do you, what do you want here? And I, I, need to, uh, I need to remark something else, and this is worthy of a whole teaching, but I won't do it this morning. Um, God deals with nations a little bit different than he does with me and you. By that I mean, God can punish a nation, and I can be a part of that nation, and God, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm not, gonna be, get, I'm un, not under that punishment. I am in, under the, the nation that I live in, but God treats every individual, whether they're Palestinian, Islamic, uh, Hungarian, Romanian, German, Chi uh, Chinese, Japanese, island people, wherever they are. God loved the world that he gave his only son for every individual. Now, in that, there are nations that violate God's word, and God treats nations, pa Babylon, Assyria, all the ones throughout the scriptures. So when we pray, yes, we pray that every person on earth who the Holy Spirit is drawing them, they can be saved. Lord, save them. But there are nations that need to be destroyed. We could go to the book of Esther and see where there's a whole uh, plot to kill the Jewish people. We love the book of Esther, right? But when you get at the end, God said, anybody who wants to kill the Jews, or the Jews have a right to defend themselves against. And if you read in chapter 9, there's over 75,000 that they killed who were about to kill them. So it's, there's precedence on how Jews have been allowed to protect themselves. Uh, that's not my purpose this morning to talk about all that. But we need to pray for the protection of Israel. We need to pray for their comfort. We need to pray that in the midst of this, their eyes would be turned to Jesus. And let me tell you this as well, that in the midst of hard times, your eyes are turned to the Lord Jesus. We sang it this morning. Our God's an awesome God. And he's our provider, and he's all that we need. And in the, even in the darkness, he comes, and he, and he ministers. So we need to see Jesus in everything that goes on. That's where we stand. So that's part of our prayer for Israel, that they would see the Lord. They would see it was the Lord's hand that is helping them. Divine, uh, di divine intervention, deliverance. Um, there's so much uh, going on in these last 16 days that is just, uh, we're hearing more about it all the time. But all in, it, all in all is that the world might know that he's God. Uh, and that's how we're going to pray. So I want to just take a moment before we go on this morning and just pray for Israel. Just join with me in your hearts. Father, we pray for Israel. We pray for the Jewish people. Father, I know that you know them. You are bringing them back from the north, the south, the east, and west, back to the land, back to where you said, this is the land I've given to them. So now, Lord, I pray that you would protect them. Uh, be their guard, their rear guard. Over and over in Scripture, whether it was the Egyptian armies you, uh, or each of the nations out of Scripture, you protected your people, and, Lord, you showed yourself strong on their behalf. 
So, Lord, I pray for divine miracles to take place. Your angel hosts to surround them and protect them during these days. And may their eyes be turned towards you. And may they look upon you whom they pierce. May they see the Lord Jesus in the midst of their time, that you would turn that nation, those people, back to yourself. Lord, thank you that we've received the law. We've received the, the covenants. We see the promises of God through them, and we're grafted in by the blood of the Lamb. So we bless you, Lord. We thank you, and we know that you are God. You're in control, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are living in a day uh, very similar to um, the scriptures where the church of Colossian, Colossae, and I want you to turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1. I want to continue on with the scriptures where we've looked. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been there, and we're down into verse 21. But as you turn there, I want to read to you um, what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. He said this to uh, the people that are scattered. He said, um, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Sufferings in the church is not new. It has happened Throughout the centuries, Jesus said, if they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute you. That is what happens as a believer. We're not in a playground. We're in a battleground. And so Peter writes to them, and he said, listen, our brothers and sisters are going through some hard times. And that would be right now, whether you're in Israel or in, in uh, the Gaza Strip, or in Iraq, Iran, in Romania, Ukraine, Brothers and sisters, our Christian brothers and sisters are going, undergoing suffering for being a Christian. In Nigeria, Nairobi, Africa, all those places, Christians are being martyred, killed for their faith. And we, they're our, our friends, our, we don't know them. We're going to be in heaven with them. I trust that you're going to be there with them. I plan to meet some of them and thank them for standing firm for the faith in the midst of their battle. And so Peter writes and he said, it's happening around the world. So I want you to resist the devil, stand firm in the faith, knowing that all these things are happening. So we need to be alert and aware. Now, going back to Colossians chapter 1, um, this is where we uh, started this book a few months or so ago. And we've been going down it verse by verse. And this is a church that was in an outer region. It was a not a Jewish church. It was a Gentile area, about 100 miles east of the, of the city of Ephesus, where Laodicea was, and Hierapolis was up north of that. And there in that region, Paul writes to them because he had heard that the gospel came to them, and they were, they, uh, uh, in the vernacular, they bought in. They got committed to Christ, and he said, we're going to follow him. And then he begins to teach them and lay out a foundational principle that they could stand against the forces that were coming against them, the enemy who was coming against them in terms of idolatry, worship angels, worship this, do that, do this. And he said, and, and look to uh, the gods around you. He said, oh, no, no, there is only one God. And you could go up in chapter 1 and, and see verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus came to reveal the Father, reveal God to us. So 
he's writing to a church that uh, needs to know a few things. And I, I, when I read the, these New Testament letters, I think, you know, it'd be like, I, I don't know that this would ever happen, but if we lived back in the day or whether Paul lived in our day, would we get a letter called to the church at Suffield? I'm going to write a letter to you. How would, we, how would we treat that letter? But this is inspired by God, and Paul did that. He built up the church there in Colossians. So I'm down to verse 21, and this is where we're going to go today. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is a gospel that you heard and that has been preached to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We have laid out different things that Paul has talked about. Jesus is creator. He's the head of the church. He's the help of the church. He's God's plan. Uh, when he came, that, that we might be saved. His plan of salvation is there. And then he gets to verse 21. He said, once you were alienated and enemies of God, in your mind. You are the enemies of God. Enemies. I'm not sure if you would ask anybody uh, in, in any course of your life or consent, are you God's enemy? Do you hate God? I, are you an enemy of God? Most people say, oh, what, what are you talking about? Nah, nah, whatever. He said, but no, you're an enemy. You were an enemy of God. And Paul, he, he never denied that part, but he talked about it. He said, there was a time when I was an enemy of God. I wanted to do my thing. You can put a piece of paper in there, go just a few pages back to the end of your Bible, towards the, and go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul's writing to Timothy. He said, I thank Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointed me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecuted persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted, acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me in abu abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He said, I was bad. I was a persecutor. I was violent. I, I, I cursed God. I was a blasphemer. But God did something. I was once alienated from God, and now I've been changed. I've been brought something. Go to uh, Colossians. Go back to Ephesians. That's probably enough pages the other way from Colossians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now working in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in Trespasses and sins. 
When you go to Colossians, he said you were alienated from God. You were cut off from God. There was an alienation that took place. You once could have been. Listen, we were created in God's image. In the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God. They were one with God. They, they, they knew God. God knew them. And, they, and then they went their own way. Sin came into the world, and they were alienated, cut off from God. Mankind had been created in the image of God but, and, and had fellowship with God. Now there was no fellowship. Now they have become we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we become God's enemies. You know, we have, have turned, even our actions, we've desired the wrong things, thought the wrong things, wanted, let me see if this falls into what your thinking was. I hope it still isn't. But man wants to control God. He wants a God that he can say yes or no to, that that God will do what I want to but, and now have become the enemies of God, our actions. We haven't bowed down before him in worship. We, as sinful people, we have called him our enemy. If you're back in Romans uh, chapter 1, did I just, maybe I just read that. Let me be sure I didn't. I don't think I did. Go to Romans chapter 1. Acts, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Romans 1. Verse 21 to 23. 21 to 23. For although, God says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal beings, being like birds or animals or reptiles. God gave them over to their sinful desires. I've said this before over the years and maybe recently again. I, I repeat it too many times to remember when I did or didn't say it. But let me give you this again. A man's or woman's, general human being's theology. Theology is a word that dictates your belief about God. Theology, theos, God. Your theology will be dictated by your morality. Your theology will be dictated by your morality. Let me explain more what that means because I believe it. I see it all the time. If a man wants to be and live anyway, by Colossians says, in your mind, thinking about that, I want to do my own way. I, I, I want to be my way, not God's way. And I will do what I want. Then what man has always done from the beginning of time when sin entered the world, he has tried to find a God who will align with the what they want to do. You will find a God who will give you permission to live the way you want to live. Your theology, your God, will be dictated by what you want to do, your moral choices. You don't want a God who will condemn your actions. You don't want a God who's going to say, hey, what you're doing is going to bring about death. What you're doing is going to bring about destruction in your family. We don't want a God like that. We want a God to uh, bolster us up. Well, my God says I can do that. I'll get to just another phrase. And you become an enemy who, of God who might say what your actions are are wrong. You see, sin, and it's called sin, it's called rebellion and wickedness, 
that, that it's what it is. We're rebelling against God. And it's so prevalent that I don't even think as believers we're aware of it anymore because people don't use the word sin. People use other words to describe what's going on. I came across a, a man who uh, had written some things. His name's Bruce. I can't pronounce his last name. But it was very interesting because he talked about the things that we do in order to justify. And he said, when we understand that there's an alienation from God, that sin has entered and it's called sin, it's how we can explain what's going on. How else? And he let me read some of his statements. How else do you explain how a man could go to work every day and command that hundreds of Jews be sent to the gas chamber? He could only do that if his conscience had become so cut off and calloused that it's just a matter of packing. Where are you going today, hon? I'm going to pack, pack. Here's your lunch. Go to work. What are you going to do today? I'm going to go kill Jews today. How absurd can that be? But it's because sin is sin, and it's, it's in the wickedness and on the earth. How else do you explain how a person could pick up a gun and start killing innocent people? I know it happens, but I'm broken every time I hear it. And just recently in this area, down in Hartfield, a man killed his wife and three children in bed and then killed himself. And you say, how could that be? And we want to rationalize and say, well, he was mentally messed up. It's called sin. It's called wickedness. How else can you explain a man killing his family? And that's not an isolated case. You know that. We live in this world. It's called sin. How do you explain how a person can get involved in an adulterous relationship even though it will break the heart of his family members and ruin the, their own reputation? It's because I want to have a relationship I want to have. I want to go out there and do. And so we have a world right now that is broken by brokenness and divorce and shattered stuff. How else do you explain it? Well, people are just having bad days. It's called sin. It's called disobeying the word of God. He said, husbands, love your wives. Raise up your children in the ways of God. There, God has a plan that's a good plan. It is a, it's good for us. But Paul's writing, he said, don't forget that you were like that. You were the enemies of God. How else can I explain when my words begin to attack others with words that I know is wrong and the words that can never be taken back? Why does that happen? I heard a phrase one time, and when you're having an argument uh, with someone, your spouse, family member, whatever it is, friend, it's the, they said the first one to the cross wins. What does that mean? It means that I run with repentance to God and say, God, I repent of my sinful mouth that behaves as if I was your enemy because you gave me life to live. Not enemy stuff, but friendship with God, a life of God, the fruit of the Spirit to display that in my family. And then the final question he brought up is how to explain how quick we are to rationalize our acts of deception. I really appreciate this guy because he put in the words all the things that I'm thinking about, and he has better words than I have to do it. Because then he said, this is what we do. He said, we go into this mode of rationalization. If you want to write some words down so you can be aware of these, number one is denial. 
We deny it. I didn't do anything wrong. It was you. I know nobody ever has used that phrase anywhere, right? Yeah, that's it. Don't look at your neighbor now. It's all you. I didn't do anything wrong. Honest. <laughs> that is so built in. Sin is so built into us. That's why we need a Savior. I remember when my dad and mom first became Christians and um, life changed in our house. And um, they bought a piano for at Christmas time. It was a beautiful story in Clark piano. And it had, uh, on the back, it had these feathers. And, uh, it was just a beautiful piano. But on the edge, there was this little corner of veneer on the piano that, that had just a little edge on it. And uh, it got broken off. It snapped, and there was a piece off the edge of the piano, just like right off the edge, just a little piece. And so the, the fancy, beautiful-looking piano had this little hole in it. Well, my father was a little upset with that. I don't know why, but anyway, uh, he lined us up. And at that time, there were probably eight, uh, six or seven. I forget how many were, there were of us. And so we're lined up, and he lined us up, oldest to youngest, and said, okay, which one of you did this? Because he knew it just didn't fall off. It was broken. I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't do it. Dad, I didn't do it. All the way down. Nobody confessed their sin. <laughs> I didn't do it. You, so we're all saying, he said, okay, this is how it's going. You're all getting a SWAT. We're going to the woodshed, all of you, every one of you. But I didn't do it. It doesn't matter. Nobody's confessing sin here. So we all were disciplined. And then 40 years go by. And we're all gathered around the table. And somebody brings up the story. I've told you this story before. But somebody brings up this, the piano story. All right. Time has passed. Statue of limitations is over. Which one of you did this? And the two down here, <laughs> there was this way. These two right here, well, we were just playing and we broke it. Well, why didn't you confess it? You might as well get it if we are going to. <laughs> so I, I did get punished for something I didn't do. But all the things I got away with, eh, anyway. We deny. You know, it's, it happened in the garden, Genesis chapter 4. Well, am I my brother's keeper? Cain says it to God about Abel. I didn't do that. Denial, that's, that's what we did. That's what our, our sinful nature says. We're saved from that, but diversion. Here's another one. P kids give this to their parents. Everybody's doing it. Everybody. Mom, everybody's doing it. It's still wrong. So what gives you the right to call me a sinner? If you see the person defensive, everybody's doing it. The third word was repression. We avoid judgment at all. We believe that it will never be examined. No, God's not going to judge us. He doesn't see it, but he does. Rationalization. Well, you know, it's really not stealing. I mean, it's just taking back what I wanted. It's just, it's just not stealing. So the final word was renaming. We rename stuff. If you and I live in a day called renaming, it is right now. They're renaming everything. It isn't, it isn't sin anymore. It's got a new name. And then I came across, this one's sort of funny. The things we, that we like to make don't sound so bad. Here's a couple one. Your bedroom isn't messed up. It's called passage resistant. Restri passage restrictive. 
In other words, I can't walk through your room. No, Mom, it's not messed up. It's passive restrictive. That's what it is. Or you're not having a bad day. You're suffering from rebellious follicle syndrome. <laughs> Just admit it. You're having a bad hair day, right? It's not called gossip anymore. It's transmission of near factual information. It's lying. It's gossip. But we rename it. I like this one for students. The food of the school cafeteria isn't awful. It is digestively challenged. We rename stuff, right? You're not sleeping in class or church. You're, ration, you're rationing consciousness. Now, you've got to think about that. You're not sleeping. You're just rationing the amount of consciousness you have through a day so you get sleep. And you don't have smelly gym socks. You have odor-retentive athletic footwear. They just stink. I want you to laugh at that because when you do the same thing, it's sin. We do it as sin. Paul said to the Colossians, he said, listen, you were alienated from God by your evil behavior dictated in your minds. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. We'll get all the words right again. You are, your minds have decided how you were going to operate here because of your evil Enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's where we've got to grab hold of this. And, and I want you to know, sin is still a valid word. It is. We've all come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. It is against God. And then you get to verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 22. But now, but now... God has done something entirely different. God has done an action that only he can do. On the cross, he has reconciled us, brought us back together by Christ's physical body through death to present you. Now look at these words that's hard to match up to. Holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Think of those wonderful words that Christ has done for us. The death of Christ on the cross paid the price for my sin. If you go back up to verse 20, it says he's made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's the hope of the gospel. This is a message of the goodness of the, of the gospel. He forgives us of our sin. He has washed us clean by his blood. I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the person I used to be. I'm not in that anymore. I'm now de de declared holy. Jesus was my substitute. He paid the price and made it possible for me and you not to be enemies of God, but to have peace with God, our creator. And you're here this morning, and I pray that that is why you're here, because you have peace with God. You deal with the stuff that comes. You deal with that. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I come back to you. You say, Lord, I, I repent of what I've done. I repent of what I said. I'm coming back to you because in your sight, you made me holy, and I want to walk in that. I want to walk separated, unique unto God, holy unto him in that new relationship. 
Notice it says in his sight. You know what we have a problem with, church? We point fingers at each other and judge one another. And that's sin, by the way. God said he hates that. But why do we, we do that? We said, well, I want to be better than them. Well, at least I didn't do that. I'm better than this and that. You see, what you think of me and what I think of you is almost irrelevant to the point that what God sees is the important thing. Remember when God told Samuel, go anoint a king at the house of Jesse, and they kept bringing the sons, and God said, that's not the one, that's not the one. He, and he said, Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. God looks on your heart. God looks on my heart. Now, when I was a kid, Captain Penny, he always used to say you can fool some of the people some of the time. All the people sometimes, some of the people all the time, but you can't fool mom. That was one of his phrases on TV as a kid. But you can't fool God. I can fool you. You can fool me. But you can't fool God. Holy in his sight. When I bow my knee before him and understand he created me, he made me, he knew me, he has purpose for me, I, I'm, I'm his son, I'm a prince of the most high, I, I belong to him, you're a princess, you're a queen, you're part of his family. When you think of that, when you grab hold of that, there is joy, there is hope, there is reason because you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, uniquely his, set apart by God. If only the world would know that. If only they could buy into that. And then he says, you're without blemish. You know, um, lots of us have shopped at, at uh, those, uh, not secondhand stores, but the ones that have defects in them. And you can find a shirt that a button's missing or there's a rip here. But you say, I can fix that up. Make that shirt look like new. Make that whatever you're buying to make it new. But God said, I'm going to wash you so clean, you're not going to have any blemishes in you. There's no more blemishes. Because why? He has washed me. He has washed you by the blood without blemish, without spot, and free from accusation. You see, that accusation thing is one that beats us down. He said, you're not under the accusation anymore of, of the sin anymore. That's not who you are. You're declared innocent of all charges. They've all been dropped. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says that Satan is an accuser. In fact, if you look up the word Satan, it means adversary, accuser. Satan is an accuser. What does he do? He comes and accuses you and me, and he says words like, who do you think you are? You are so bad that God could never forgive you. What are you thinking? Why did you, you do that? Well, I wanted to serve God. Well, God doesn't count on that. God doesn't care. He accuses us. Or we have this one thought, uh, maybe a, it's a wrong thought, a lustful thought, some kind of thought, and then he hops right on your shoulder and hollers in your, oh, what a great Christian you are. Anybody ever have that said? Or just me? Okay. 
just me then. Just me. Oh, start back at the beginning. We have an enemy who's going to come after you. Come on. He is an accuser of the brother. And God has forgiven us. Romans 8, 31, it says, when God declares to me forgiven, I'm forgiven indeed. So, what do we do? How do we put this into practice, what we have just studied and looked at? 21 and 22. He gets to 23. And he says these words. If you continue in your faith, it's got to be yours. Your faith. Established and firm. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is a gospel that was heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The if, can the if part of that word can really get you messed up. It almost implies like, well, if you mess up, you're out. You're just out. So if you don't continue in a proper way, you've lost all this. That's not what that's about. What's really a fundamental part of this is that if you're going to walk in that, it's going to require your total commitment to it, your total entrance into Christ. It's not just a prayer one day that never went anywhere. You said, well, I prayed one day, and so I'm fine. And never live it, never live it anymore, never walk in God, never read the Bible, never go to church, never do anything. That's not what this is. It says total commitment with Christ. Not just an emotional response that said, boy, I felt so emotional and I think I'll give my life to Christ. It's not based upon emotions. It is a commitment of the heart that gives you a faith and a place to be established, a foundation place, firm place. Those two words, uh, uh, established and firm some of you recognize the name uh, Rabbi Kurt Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus. He's on TBN, I believe, now. But probably a number of years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, Rabbi Kurt was in our church. He was in with us a couple of times, and, uh, you know, we have these banners, and he asked Judy to make a banner. I can say that. Ruach HaKodesh which means the breath of God, the holy breath. That's the Holy Spirit in Hebrew. And he said, I want you to build one, uh, make one of those, and I want to hang it up in our, in our gathering place up in Toledo. So we went, and she made it, we went and hung it up. So we had a little bit of a relationship with Kurt Schneider as a congregation. We had heard him, uh, listened to his teaching. It was really good, really appreciated him. But he told us his story, and maybe you've heard his story. He was a young Jewish boy up in Cleveland, and uh, he was persecuted for being a Jew, and he hated being a Jew because he said, my friend, who was a Methodist big guy, he fought everybody, but why didn't we fight? He, and he had it in his heart, to, why, didn't we, why didn't my ancestors fight the Germans in the Holocaust? Why don't we stand up now? So he had this real negative concept about being a Jewish kid, even though they were Orthodox Jewish family. Well, one day, and I forget the timeline of what age he was. He wasn't very old, probably in college. He said, one day in his room, Jesus appeared. He said, he came into my room, and I saw him, and I recognized him as my Savior and my Lord, and bowed before him and became a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, that changed his life forever, but his family thought he was nuts. 
they put him in University Hospital in the psych ward, I believe. I hope I'm not messing this up, but this is what I remember him saying. He was in the psych ward for months. They tried to, to drug him, tried to uh, change his thinking. He said, you can do whatever you want to. I know what I know, and I'm committed to Jesus Christ. His dad called him up one time after that experience, and he called him downtown Cleveland to a hotel, and he said, son, we've got a business opportunity. I want you to come uh, because his brother owns Legacy Village, by the way, up in Cleveland. So he, he goes to the hotel, and they basically kidnapped him. Back in the 70s, 80s, there was a man by the name of Ted Patrick who was a known deprogrammer. Getting, parents would uh, get, him out, get their kids out of the Hare Krishna and the various cults and stuff around. But they got him, and they worked with him again, trying to deprogram him. Get Jesus out of our son. And he stood, he said, you can't get him out. I belong to Jesus. And you can discover that he was a Jew, the Jewish Jesus. And when I read that and I looked at that, I said, I'm reminded of Kurt. He said, I am established. I know what I know, what I know. And I'm firm in that. My faith has stood the test of being accused and I think of myself and I think of you here in Suffield Fellowship, what would we do if suddenly people would come in and hold a knife to your neck and maybe not your neck but to your child or your wife or even your husband and say, if you do not deny Jesus Christ, we're cutting off their head right now. Listen, that has happened around the world. That has happened but what would you do? What would, I don't know what I would do. I, I know what I want to do, and, but I've never been there yet. I'm trusting that my foundation of Jesus is going to stand, and I will tell you this today. If it would happen, I am ready to go. Judy's ready to see me goodbye. <laughs> no, she's not. But anyway, oh, Lord, take care of her. I'm <laughs> you're next, Judy. Oh, really? No, this is, it is serious times we live in. But the call that Paul gave, and you know the stories in the book of Acts. You know what's going to happen. You know that, that they're going to start burning Christians in history at this time. And he said, if you stand, continue in your faith, establish and firm, and don't move away from the hope that is in Christ Jesus. Don't move away from the hope that's in there. What do you do? We stand firm. We have a heart of worship. That's why it's so important. We don't just sing songs here, church. These are worship songs that declare our love for our God, our hope in him. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And we don't play games. We read our Bibles. Why? To get the truth of the word of God in us, to be able to stand. We renew our minds. Remember, upwards it said, in your minds, you become an enemy, your evil behavior. Romans 12, here, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get your mind right. Follow renewing of your mind and, 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 and get the instruction of what it is to walk in faith firm. But the last thing I'll say this. you got to be honest with yourself. I don't know about you, but that's one of the great denials we all have. It's not me. I'm doing okay. Get honest. Are you? Am I? Are you? Can you look in the mirror and say, Look yourself right there in the mirror. And don't say your hair is having a follicle resistance, whatever that word I use. Don't say that. 
Look at yourself in the eye and in the heart and say, God, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked, presumptuous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's how we stand. That's how we walk. Oh, we'll have some stumbles. Sure we will. We're people. We, we do that. But that's not my commitment. My, my commitment, my decision is to follow Christ. Is yours? Is yours? Only, only you can honest, answer that question honestly. Repent. Don't move away from the hope of the gospel, the truth. When we have the communion service, we thank God for what the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because it's our hope. It is our hope. On our little phrases, pens and stuff, we said, finding hope in Jesus. He is our hope. He is your life. That's a cause for worship. It's a cause for rejoicing. But it's also a cause to look at your life and say, Jesus, today, today I want to follow you in all that I do. Is that your desire? We need the Holy Spirit to help us with that. He comes to the worship team, if you could come up as we sing. Just the Spirit of God just fall on us. Would you stand together with us? Just bow your heads right now. Do business with your Father in heaven who's watched you. He's called you holy in his sight. Without blemish, no more accusation. If you feel accusations coming right now, just, just declare it in the name of Jesus, Satan, leave me alone. I belong to Jesus. No more accusation. Lord, here's our hearts. Look at them. Lord, I know that inside we feel we're never going to measure up, but you have called us by your name, and you've qualified us to be yours. Holy Spirit, speak to every heart this morning that even today we're going to walk renewed commitment to you. Now, if you made those kind of commitments as you sing this song, let it be, just let it be real to you as we sing.